0: everybody. Rob Stats Guerrera. Here with Levin Black. Can't think of anything funny or creative to say about him. How's it going, Levin? Uh,
1: Apparently better for me than you, Eeyore. I mean, this is... How did we get here? (laughs) Uh, Apparently everybody took the offseason off and uh, thought the season wasn't going to happen in San Francisco. I, I don't know. There isn't There isn't anybody in that game to me that stands out as, wow, that guy did great. You know, some people had, (laughs) Robbie Gold. Some people had good games, but for the most part, I mean, that that was a complete, it's one of the most complete and total failures I can remember from top to bottom coaching, players, everybody.
0: We're going to get into a little of that. Uh, But first, I want to get into the news of the day because there was some big news on Wednesday and it, it's going to affect the team, at least in the short term. The biggest news, Richard Sherman, out of nowhere, is suddenly on injured reserve, the three-week injured reserve, with a, quote, calf strain that apparently happened with, I think, like four plays to go in the game. I didn't even see the play. I didn't even see anything that happened. But now he's gone. Akello Witherspoon, who potentially could fill in, is in the concussion protocol, so his status is up in the air. Like I don't know where Emmanuel Mosley is. But just stay – close – go in your bathroom, close the door, and do not come out until Sunday,
1: Emmanuel, please. It's – I mean, it's huge news, really. And, yeah, it, it's only three-week IR, but with as big of this – as big as this came out of nowhere and the fact that they didn't wait. They didn't say, let's see how one week goes. Let's let's try to get through the week and see how it goes before we make a designation, a decision screams to me that this is much more serious than three weeks. I mean, I I think if he is back after only missing three weeks, back for that, what, fifth game, I would be shocked, really. I mean, there's not much info out right now, but to me, you don't just go, all right, we're going to go ahead and just throw him on IR for three weeks. You, You go, well, we'll see how he goes. He might miss a week. We'll see how the next week goes. This is really odd, and like I said, it just screams to me as being a very serious injury that the team is not wanting to tip their hand on just yet.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point by you. The the fact that there was no hesitation is upsetting. Uh, Tom Pelicero tweeted that it's, quote, just a flare-up related to an old injury for Richard Sherman, who had a torn Achilles back in 2017. Uh, let me just say, there is no like writing this off as always oh, his old torn Achilles is flaring up again. Like, that's terrifying as a 49ers fan. Uh, Achilles injuries don't, no, that's terrifying to me. We're looking at more than three weeks if that's what it's related to. Right. I
1: mean, I, I'm no uh, professional athlete, but I've injured my Achilles twice in my high school and college playing career of soccer. And uh, one of them was about as minor as you can get. And it took three weeks of literally not putting weight on it for two of those weeks. And then a week of just barely being able to walk. And then after that, I was able to kind of return to practice a little bit. And it was four weeks before I played in a game. The other time I had a uh, mild tear, and that was a full 10 weeks that I was out. Now, this is somebody that's had multiple Achilles injuries before. And the problem with them, and Sherman knows this as as good as anybody, is that you can think it's okay. You can think it, it it's back. It's healed. And then you make one strong pivot or whatever, and you stretch that tendon, and it snaps. That's how he snapped it. You remember, he, he had an Achilles injury, and he said he was going to play through it. And by playing through it, he tore it completely. So it, it's extremely concerning, even though the team right now is calling it a calf strain. I consider that a very dubious and sus, uh, suspicious designation right now.
0: Look, at least this season, the 49ers are the kings of talking a great game plan. And then what they actually do is a hell of a lot different. Because let me going into that Cardinals game, they were saying a lot of great things, and we just didn't see it. But again, we're going to get to that. I'm still trying to stick with the news of the day. Everyone, I see a lot of Niner fans saying, so what? I even saw Eric Davis say, so what? You know, look, they're playing the Jets. They're playing the Giants. Everything's going to be fine. I'm not in that camp. Look, they're still playing against NFL teams, okay? And the 49ers are only so deep. And if Witherspoon's gone and Sherman's gone, I don't care that they're lining up against the Jets. I'm a little bit worried. They're going to need that pass rush to step up.
1: I think people are looking at the quality of teams. They're supposedly playing the Jets and the Giants and thinking, well, that's a no-brainer. They can win those even without Sherman and these other guys. But... Geography matters, and West Coast teams know that better than anybody because West Coast teams traveling to the Eastern time zone don't do well. I I don't remember the exact win percentage, but it's one of the biggest advantages in football statistically uh, for teams that play in the Pacific time zone going to the Eastern time zone. Well, yeah, they're staying out here in West Virginia in between those two New York games, but it's still West Coast team going to the East Coast. That shouldn't be understated, especially in this weird year of everything being off. I mean, it's not just going to be, hey, we're going on a road game. It's going to be the first road game of the COVID season. I mean, travel is different. What you're allowed to do once you're there is different. I mean, there's the whole, you know, hotels. It's a much bigger deal. And, I mean, to be frank, everybody kind of took Arizona for granted, too. Look what happened.
0: No, you're totally right about this. And to, to make things more complicated, the 49ers could be, out, be without George Kittle. We don't know. He did not practice today. I should say he did not practice Wednesday. Shanahan said he's going to basically give him the week off, maybe try to get him back in practice on Friday, and then they're going to make a game time decision. So, I mean, Kittle's a gamer, so you, maybe he goes, but That's up in the air, too, now. I mean, all of a sudden, this game against the Jets that was supposed to be, you know, just a walk in the park, guys are going to be missing here. I don't think it's going to be as easy as everybody says. It's
1: kind of like an apocalypse season right now. (laughs) Everything that could go wrong is going wrong. I mean, you come out of week one and you lose Sherman, and, I mean, if he's not going to practice all week, I would say it's doubtful Kittle plays. I mean, you lose... I guess Sherman's not your best player on defense anymore with Boza. But after that, it's probably Sherman. Certainly the best player in the secondary, I would say. And then you lose your best offensive player when you're already down wide receivers. I mean, what's the pass game going to look like? Are they just going to come out and run it? I mean, this could be an NFC championship type offense where Shannon just says, we're going to run it. And if they stop it, then we'll figure something else out and add, add salt to the wound. If the Jets end up winning, guess who's their starting running back right now?
0: Mr. Frank Gore. And by the way, I have a Frank Gore nugget that I just saw before we started recording this that is absolutely fantastic. I hope you haven't seen it. I will spring it on you at the end of this pod because it's
1: it's just another reason to love Frank Gore. Um, can you imagine if the Niners lose and Frank Gore has like 100 yards? That's just going to be like, okay, this can't. This is getting comical how bad this is. This is this is the 2020 season. You know, you read, you
0: see all these stories about the Super Bowl loser and how they don't make the playoffs and now Super Bowl hangover. This is exactly how that stuff happens, right? Guys just don't suddenly lose their football ability. It's stuff like this, right? It's your best cornerback getting hurt at the end of a game. It's it's George Kittle having, jumping to catch a high throw, then coming down, leaving his knee exposed. Like all these these things are sort of coming together and chipping away at this great team. And that's how these lost seasons
1: happen. It's exactly what's starting already. And they always have the same tone coming into the season. They're always confident. Hey, we messed up. We should have won the Super Bowl. We're going to be right back in it. We're going to get one. I mean, Niners fans have already seen that in the past decade. It, it doesn't always happen that way. I mean, it, it's pretty rare that a team loses a Super Bowl and then is able to win the Super Bowl the next year. The Patriots Happened to do it a couple of years ago, but I think it's only what two teams in history that have done that. So it's not to be taken for granted. The Niners are already kind of behind the eight ball because of the division they're in. I mean, what all three teams won in the division. So the Niners are already a game down on every single team and they got so many injuries now. There's a lot of question marks. But I do want to say, and maybe I'm jumping the gun and taking us into a topic that was for later in the pod, but it's the very underrated part of the Muhammad Sanu signing to me. He's been through this already. He was on the Atlanta Falcons when they fell after losing the Super Bowl. He's been through this Super Bowl hangover before, and now he's coming into the wide receiver core, and he's got that vet presence. He's been through it. Shanahan wasn't through it because Shanahan jumped ship and came to the Niners. So he's able to bring something that not even the coaching staff can really bring. And I think that is very underrated. And I haven't seen anybody else mention it that he's been through this hangover. He can kind of help guide people of hey, here's the mistakes we made and this is the things that we should learn from. I have not seen anyone make that point. (laughs) And now I have to give you It was it was actually I saw the signing and I was like, Well, I'm glad they signed him, and then I I saw a picture of him in Atlanta gear instead. And that just it popped in my head. I was like, "Hey, you know what? He was there after. He's been through a Super Bowl hangover." And I started thinking, it. I am like, I can't think of anybody, coaching staff or otherwise, that's gone through a Super Bowl hangover other than, I mean, I am, I, I didn't confirm it, but I am thinking Wes Welker was one on one of the Patriots that lost the Super Bowl on one of those teams. And what about Jimmy? I mean, that, that's not the same. That's the Patriots. Well, that's- I mean, you are in the middle of a dynasty. It's not the same.
0: Very true. And the Patriots are sort of a unicorn anyway, so. (laughs) Unicorn. I do want to mention uh, there was some positive news today on the injury front for a change, a glimmer of light in a season of darkness so far. Brandon Ayuk participated in practice. It looks like he's going to be able to make his debut on Sunday, which I think is, is big because it at least gives you some sort of threat on the outside. Someone to say at least have to say, hey, we can't just
1: totally ignore this part of the field, the Niners could have two new starting wide receivers from week one to week two. I could see the new picking it up quick. He's been in this offense before. I could see him starting with Ayuk being the other starter. I, that actually just came to me, and it makes me wonder how often that's happened before, where a team had two starters in week one, they're both healthy, but neither one of them start week two. That would. Probably be something that hasn't happened often, if ever. I mean, injury, no, Sh- injuries have happened to cause it, but I'm talking about the guys are healthy that started week one and they might not start week two.
0: Yeah, Shanahan said he's confident that if he has to put Sanu out there, he can do it because he knows the system and, and he knows you know the different wide receiver positions within the system. So, I mean, for, for Shanahan to, number one, sing his praises the way he did before they signed him, which I've never seen a coach do for anybody. And then now, when they've signed him to say we can throw him right in there right away, he clearly has a man crush on Sanu.
1: Well, I mean, <laughs> right now he's desperate for a wide receiver that can be a true starting. Can we can we put this to to bed? This is something I think should be completely put to bed because there's a lot of people out there that think that they're you know starting caliber guys and that they're going to be. Guys to truly count on. No, they're backup wide receivers. They're good for what they are. They're paid for the role they are. They're quality guys that should be on roster. But Kendrick Bourne and Trent Taylor are not stars. They're not going to go out and get 60, 70 catches in a season. They're guys that are going to be depth pieces. They give you somebody who can fill in and spell starters. They're not starting quality wide receivers. They're number three, four, five quality wide receivers.
0: And can I say... Dante Pettis sucks. Yeah. He sucks. Like, there's not this great mystery player in there that's going to emerge now that he's got an opportunity. He sucks. He is not willing to go up and fight for balls. He's not willing to catch balls in traffic. And he's not willing, and this is what's really going to piss Shanahan off, he's not willing to block for running backs. There's a play. The play before they get stopped on the goal line in week one, Jarek McKinnon has an amazing run. And there's basically one defender to beat for McKinnon in the end zone. And Pettis is right there. And Pettis doesn't hold his block. And McKinnon goes down at the one-yard line. Because you want to know why Pettis didn't hold his block? Because he was watching Jarek McKinnon run. Like, you can't do that. I can't wait for Dante Pettis to be back in the Shanahan doghouse and not part of this team.
1: Yeah, I think uh, week one, the most concrete thing that comes from week one is that The Dante Pettis experiment is done. Like that guy that was there year one isn't coming back. I don't know. I mean, this is, you you can't top AJ Jenkins, but he's coming pretty close. I mean, and it's in similar manner. He just, he doesn't have the fight needed. It's Pettis had every opportunity in week one to say, Hey, I'm, I'm for real. I'm, you know, last year I took it for granted. He showed nothing. Well, I shouldn't say that. He showed something and it wasn't good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's worse than showing nothing,
1: right? <laughs> At least if
0: you don't show anything, we don't know. But if you if you open your mouth and prove it, so to speak, I mean, yeah. I'm, okay. Sorry, Dante. We're done with you. We're done with this segment. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to look ahead a little more to the Jets and, and sort of get into what we're hoping for and what we want to see looking ahead to week two. Okay, Levin, we've reached the point of the show where we're going to end up talking about Jimmy Garoppolo (laughs) because we're looking ahead to week two against the Jets, and obviously he needs to play better if the 49ers are going to win. And he spoke yesterday, and there was only one thing I wanted to hear from him. I was making notes on what I wanted to talk about, And I wrote down three things I want to hear from Jimmy Garoppolo. And then after I wrote down the first one, I scratched off the other two because there's only one thing I wanted to hear from him. I wanted him to say, I was terrible. I was terrible. I let this team down, and I am going to be better next week. I didn't want him to say, well, I couldn't get into a rhythm. The whole offense was bad. We as a group – don't hide behind this whole group thing. Take it on your shoulders and say, I stunk. It's my fault. And what did he do when he got up there? He didn't do it again. He couched it as, well, we all need to be better. We all need to be consistent. He never steps up and takes the blame, and he needs
1: to. Well, he certainly deserves a lot of blame for that stink fest that was the Arizona game. And, you know, we kind of mentioned it between ourselves before we got going, but I think it's time to bring up that Kendrick Bourne pass that – Almost certainly would have won the game. To me, it it, it was really odd because I know Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't have a, a real can. You know, he, he's more of an ac- accurate passer. He's capable of throwing the deep ball, but he doesn't have a cannon. You know, he's not going to rip it in there. I think actually he was in the bottom five for the the fastest he threw a pass last year among quarterbacks that had at least a hundred. I uh, saw that stat coming into week one, so he he's one of the weaker throwers in the game, but there were a lot of throws that he was late on and that were slow to get there. And that was one of them. Like that's one that, yeah, it was accurate. The guy was wide open and it took forever to get there. Cause he lofted it in. Where's the fastball. Like, even if it's a Jimmy Garoppolo fastball there, <laughs> it would have been a touchdown, but he lofted it. Like it was some kind of rainbow that he needed to get over the cornerback. Uh, I, I, I don't know where he's at. I do think, and this is not to defend him, but it's something that kind of went unnoticed, but I do think he is very much a rhythm quarterback in that he is somebody that has very specific timings. You know, he's not on the Peyton Manning's level, but Peyton Manning was that type. Peyton Manning was somebody that really hammered in getting the exact timings down of exactly how his wide receivers are, where they're going to be exactly, when on their breaks, very consistent, so he always knows exactly where they're at. And that's something that with no preseason and no OTAs, I think he is going to struggle with early in the season. And we've also seen that because he has struggled early in the season every single year that he's been a starter early in the season. He is not a fast starter to the season. I think it takes him a while to get that timing back down.
0: I sort of – I've been thinking about him nonstop because he ruined my entire week. and. This is my sort of revelation about Jimmy Garoppolo. I think we've acquired a Patriots quarterback. And what I mean by that is what do the Patriots value, right? They value order. They value obedience. They value consistency. And what you said is true. I think if everything goes great, Jimmy's your guy. He'll he'll deliver the ball on time. He'll deliver it where it needs to go. He's not going to get too high. He doesn't get too low. He's never gonna make. He's never gonna say anything to the media. He's a perfect Patriots quarterback. That's exactly what Bill Belichick likes. But things don't always go according to plan in the NFL. Sometimes guys aren't where they're supposed to be. Sometimes your offensive linemen get beat. Things happen. You have to be able to make plays when things don't go according to plan. And when he didn't have his first read on Sunday, he didn't know what the hell to
1: do. It's weird because he's he's not what. We've found or believe that Shanahan likes, you know, Shanahan's never quite said exactly what he likes in a quarterback, but look at Kirk Cousins. He's a risk taker. He's a gunslinger. He has a cannon. That was the quarterback that Shanahan was obsessed with. Jimmy's kind of the exact opposite of what Kirk Cousins is. Jimmy is the methodical. He's the very accurate, but he's also, I mean, other than his one, where the heck did that pass come from? He's somebody that doesn't take many risks. He does not really go for it. You know what I mean? He, he's not trying to rifle it in there. And it's probably because he knows he doesn't have a rifle. He he is very much going to do exactly what the play says he's supposed to do. Whereas Kirk is more of an ad-libber. So I, I think there should be, it's only one week, but I feel like I, I went from way down here at the very bottom, thinking that Shanahan's going to move on from Garoppolo thinking he can find better to now being kind of like more of a closer to a 50-50 that Shanahan might decide, you know what, I I need to find what I truly am wanting in a quarterback. I wouldn't say that necessarily means that they would move on from Jimmy after the year, but it means they might draft somebody that Shanahan can try to bring in and see if he can beat out Jimmy.
0: They're playing the Jets this week, so I feel like no matter what Garoppolo does, people are not going to get too excited about it because the Jets are not very good. But what I want to see from him this week is, I want to see a guy that drops back and goes through his progressions. Look at the first read. Boom. If he's not there, look him off. Go to the next one. Pivot your feet. There were times on Sunday where he would drop back and he was completely flat-footed. His legs weren't even bent. He was just literally standing there like he was checking a text in the pocket. I don't know what it is. I don't know. It was like he was just not not locked in against the team that he dominated last year. His two best games were against the Cardinals and I didn't see it. And I, I want to see this week, a guy who's just on it, just locked in laser focused. Show me the guy that you were when you came in two years ago. That's the guy I want to see. I want to see the guy that won. What was it? Four straight games, five straight games, whatever the hell it was. That's where is that guy?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Cause he was a bit of a gunslinger then, and I think it's because by design there wasn't a clear. This is what the play is supposed to do because he didn't have much of the playbook, so it was much more of not necessarily a playground way, but much much more of ad lib. You know, he he was free to kind of do more of what he sees because he was having to just rely on his pure talent because he didn't know the playbook, and they weren't using much of the playbook as Shanahan has said. So maybe he's somebody that's better when the reins are off. And that's not something Shanahan, I think, is comfortable ever doing. So I think it's a very interesting thing to not only see where this lead leads this season, but also, you know, this is looking way too in the future, and this is a topic for a later day. But if they do move on and Jimmy gets to go somewhere where he could ad-lib, what happens to him?
0: He had every reason in the world to ad-lib this week, didn't he? Like, hey, look, my two starting wide receivers are out. You know, my, my center is a third string guy. No one can even say his name. Like, this was your chance to ad-lib, especially because you could say, look, Trent Taylor's in there. He hasn't played in a year. I got Jordan Reed over here. We've, we had like six snaps together in our entire history. Like, he had a reason to maybe go off script a little bit and try and make something happen. And he
1: didn't make anything happen. All those reasons sound like something else to me, something that takes it away. It's not his decision. Why weren't they running the ball more? McKinnon looks electric. He looked really good, in my opinion. He did look good. And Mostert obviously looked really good. He had that crazy long touchdown where he just took off. <laughs> but they were they were passing, and they were up the entire game till the end. Why weren't they just running until Arizona proved they could stop it? Why weren't they doing – you know, going into the game, I posted on Twitter saying I was expecting that I'm expecting a lot of pitches, a lot of rollouts, a lot of things that get away from the interior part of the line because they had that third string center. They had some outside runs early in the game, but then in sh- classic Shanahan fashion, it's like he started to get too cute. He wanted too much all at once, and he got away from what had worked. I mean... Mostert has that long touchdown and he didn't get much more use the rest of that game
0: where was that play the rest of the game by the way it was great that he was one-on-one on on Isaiah Simmons and he dusted him he dusted everybody as soon as he caught that ball I looked at the safety and I was like he ain't gonna be able to get over there Raheem's gone and sure enough he threw on the afterburners and then two seconds later he was surfing in the end zone
1: and why didn't I don't know if it was play calling or what, whatever you want to call. It. Why didn't they start picking on Isaiah Simmons? Because he was awful in that first quarter, <laughs> but they didn't pick on him. I don't, I don't really remember another pass where he was the defender in in, in uh, coverage. They stopped picking on him like that. That's where you would expect, and maybe Arizona changed some things to where he wasn't really getting man man on man. You know, playing more of a zone or spy, whatever you want to call it, um, but. I didn't, I would, that's something that Shanahan normally does. Normally when he senses a weakness, he's going to hit it and he's going to keep hitting it. He doesn't care how bad it's hurting you. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't show mercy. Didn't see that.
0: Right. The NFC championship game. Perfect example. Oh, we're running the ball. Jimmy, you take the afternoon off. We will grind them into dust, which is what he did to the Vikings, but he didn't do that this week. I, I agree. Kyle did not have his sharpest game. And this was something that surprised me too. Only 12 of Garoppolo's 37 pass plays were play action. To me, he's a way better quarterback off of play action than he is just a straight drop. And I think Kyle knows that, which is why he ran play action so much last year. Uh, Why didn't he do that more? If you're not going to run the ball, at least pretend
1: you're going to run the ball and help your quarterback out. It's just a weird, weird game to me. It's not... It's a different loss than normal because it's not, oh, they didn't play well. It's that they didn't play well. They didn't scheme well. It's just such a weird game because, you know, right after that first first quarter was good. It's like they had 10 plays like Bill Walsh used to do, and those went great. And then after those 10 plays, they go, oh, crap, what now? Because everybody (laughs) relaxed. I mean, where was the pass rush? It wasn't just offense. Where was the pass rush? Did they – that's something we'll probably never know. I'm curious if they – it didn't seem like it from watching how how much effort it was to try to get up the field. But you have to wonder, did they try to contain more so that Murray couldn't run and it just failed miserably because Murray's so fast he got away from it anyways. But D. Ford didn't do anything. Eric Armstead didn't do anything. You know, I posted on Twitter today. Those are the two guys that need to step up. Those are the two guys that got the big contracts – They're going to be needed even more now because Sherman's down. That secondary is probably not going to hold up if the quarterback gets time. Those guys have to earn their money.
0: Yes. That was a point that Kyle and Akash made on Wednesday. And I completely agree. Like you, your biggest contract guys have to actually play like it because they take up most of your cap and they affect the rest of the roster. And when they don't, it's really hard for the rest of your roster to pick up the slack and, I don't think that they did a, a mush rush, a mush <laughs> rush against Kyler Murray, and I think that was the problem. Bosa's flying in off the end on that, especially that third and seventeen play. Bosa flies in there trying to get a sack, and Murray just goes right around him and and leaves poor Quan Alexander completely in no man's land because it's Kyler, it's Quan, and there's a receiver. And no matter what Quan does, he is screwed. Because Kyler is going to do the opposite, and there's going to be a huge gain of yards, and that's exactly what happened. Kyler threw a little pump fake and whoosh, took off for 25 yards. They didn't mush rush him, and I think that that's what crushed them. And I think it's what always hurts them against mobile quarterbacks. I'm glad you brought
1: up Quan because speaking of big money guys that need to earn that money, you hate Quan. I don't hate Quan. I actually liked him a lot. I was I hey, was him. happy they signed him. I was all for that signing. But, boy, since his injury, he has not shown up. And, you know, I I hope he comes around. Maybe maybe it was just rust week one. But Greenlaw is very easily – I mean, it's clear as day. Greenlaw is the better player. And it's not particularly close right now. Quan was awful. He was awful in the Super Bowl, and now he's been awful in week one. If he keeps playing like that, he's going to be a guy that's making – top dollar. I mean, he's one at the time of his signing, he was the highest paid linebacker. Uh, he's since been eclipsed, but he's making top dollar for the position and there's a chance he's gonna be playing a reduced role by the end of the year. If he wants any chance of sticking with this team and getting another you know, if he doesn't stick with the team, getting another starting quality, decent sized contract, he's gotta turn it around because he's not doing well at all. And that that's <laughs> To be truthful, that's being uh, nice.
0: Yeah, I mean, even on the interception, Greenlaw's the one that tipped it. It wasn't Quan
1: He's got to step it up. Th- that's all there is to it. Who is the guy
0: on offense? When we talked about this before, they need someone to fire them up. It's like Sherman will do it for the defense. Even Quan actually is a- an emotional leader for that defense. On offense, is it Kittle? And is Kittle going to go to the other guys and say, step up? Like, can Kittle go to Jimmy and be like, hey, dude, You almost got me killed. Get your head out of your ass.
1: It is Kittle. I mean, Kittle is the fiery guy, but I don't know if he's that guy. I mean, it's hard to know. That's something that a lot of times stays between the players because you see it a lot in practice and things like that. But you're right. Somebody needs to be the guy that lights a fire under there, as you put it, when things are not going well.
0: That just sounded so
1: unnatural. You never swear on the pod. You know I can bleep it, right? Yeah, actually, I do know that because I just saw it on Twitter today. And it's ironic because I never swear on the pod, but boy, if you talk to me in everyday life, uh, yeah, you would swear I was a sailor. <laughs> well,
0: we got to get a swear jar for Akash, man. That guy's letting <laughs> go left He's like a machine gun with the expletives. Yeah. Unbelievable.
1: And every other word in real life to me is the f word. Like. (laughs) I'm not kidding. It used to be something like, especially when I was a teenager and stuff like that, you know, my parents would be like, you know, you're never going to get a real job. If, if you swear like that, you got to be more professional. Yeah. I am actually somebody that cusses a lot. I just, you know, I try to keep it professional here, but now that.
0: (laughs) Uh, So if you had asked me two days ago, what I wanted to see going to the jets game, I would have said, I want them to dominate them. I want them to shred them, get up early step on their throw. I want Sam Darnold to just be, forget about seeing ghosts. I want him to just be in a fetal position on the sideline, trying to beg out of the game. Now with all these injuries and with the way the offense looked, I'm just hoping for a win. I'm not, I gotta be honest.
1: This, this should be the pass rush game. The jets allowed uh, the most uh, pressure per drop back last year. I'm talking about their offense. And if I'm not mistaken, they allowed the most in week one as well they are not a good pass blocking O-line at all. This should be a game where the defense of line is able to just absolutely dominate and take that whole question of can the secondary hold up out of it. And now that we're looking into this game, I think it's interesting to see, let's say Witherspoon can't. I think if Witherspoon can play, it's pretty simply subs in for Sherman. But if he can't play... I'm curious to see what they do because I saw Tavares Moore out there a good bit in week one. Does he slide into the free safety and they bring Jimmy Ward down into a corner position to try to utilize that more? Or does Moore play play the corner position? Or, you know, do they start using the safeties a little differently? I'm curious to see what they would do in that scenario. Not that I want to see it. I would rather just see Witherspoon out there. Well, which Witherspoon are we going to get? What are you going to get if he's not? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you might see Dante you, Johnson out there, which we've we've seen that movie before and twice it was rejected.
0: We're in a spot now where we're like, man, I really hope Jason Verrett can come back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's where we are. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's a bad spot to be in. Not that Verrett is a bad player. He's just you, you can't count on him to be healthy. And now I feel like this is the 11 craps on every single Niners player pod.
0: That'd probably be a good episode for us. I'm not going (laughs) to lie.
1: That's what it's turning into. But I guess, I mean, it is what it is. I I try not to be too critical, but uh, week week one deserves a lot of criticism. Let's put it that way.
0: I had said, I think, to Niner Nate, that it is possible that a week one loss could be the punch in the stomach that everybody needs. This isn't 2019. We're not just going to roll the gold helmets out there and beat everybody. And, you know, this could basically be the Atlanta game for lack of a better comparison, Atlanta beat the Niners at home last year. They were not very good, but the Niners lost the game. I, with all that's happened in the past two days, do you think that can still apply? Do you think that can, the loss just wakes everybody up? Cause they didn't seem too panicked about it after the game.
1: Mm, I don't really think that's the issue. So, I mean, could it be? Certainly. Could the Niners go out there and dominate the jets and then turn around and falter to the giants? I could see that happening too. Um, I, I don't think this is a case of the team needs to wake up. I think this is more so a case of the team just was not prepared. And I don't think it's because they were taking things for granted. I think they had a terrible game plan from the start, both offensively and defensively. I think both coaching sides of the ball failed in this game. And that trickled into the players where they all failed. I mean, they weren't, I don't think they were put in a good position to succeed. And I don't think they were able to overcome that like they should have been.
0: You know, we always talk about players that go into slumps and stuff. Coaches have slumps too, like, and coaches get hot. I think there was a stretch last season where Kyle Shanahan could do no wrong. But he certainly hasn't hit that stretch this season. Hopefully that changes this week. I do think it's interesting that we're playing against Adam Gase, who (laughs) couldn't have been the 49ers head coach. Like, let's not forget that almost happened. That was a thing. If if Gase agreed to keep Vic Fangio as his defensive coordinator, it was a done deal. He was going to be the coach of the 49ers.
1: I mean, right now, I, I've seen two different polls on Twitter about who's the first coach to get fired this year. Gase leads both of them by a wide margin from what I saw. And, yeah, he got my vote on both of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean – I don't blame But that's the thing,
0: right? Like, so you can't have another stinker this week. If you go out and you lose to that guy, yeah. to that, I mean, they can't do anything over there at the Jet. They they can't even get Le'Veon Bell the football. Of course, he's not going to play in this game. But, like, they can do nothing right. If you don't dominate this guy, I mean, forget about red flags. We're going to be sounding the,
1: the alarms. We're going to be in full panic mode. Right. It It's, you know, I hadn't thought of it. It's not really a must win. I mean, it's way too early in the season to say it's a must-win. But the Niners are in an 0-2 hole in this division, and they just lost to the Jets. Their playoff chances are very, very slim. And I think the listeners of this pod and the people who heard me on a podcast last year are going to hear a different version of me that is more my normal one because – I happen to start doing a 49ers podcast in a season where the Niners didn't lose until it was the second half of the season. They haven't really seen the negative part of me, but I am somebody that like, especially when I'm watching the games, I tend to be always expecting the worst, you know, like it doesn't matter what quarterback could be back. There it could be somebody with an historically low interception rate, like Aaron Rodgers, And I could still be going, don't throw an interception. Don't throw an interception. I'm much more of a, I wouldn't say a negative Nancy, but I'm much more of a pessimistic fan. I'm always sitting here grumpy during games. You know, I, I'm not somebody that's always bouncing off the walls saying they're going to win 59-0. No, I, I'm much more of the lower end, but nobody's really heard me because <laughs> everything went right last year up until the Super Bowl. Welcome
0: to my world, Levin. <laughs> Welcome. There is plenty of room over here. I'm the same way. I'm look. I'm maybe it's you know years of being beaten down as a Mariners fan. They haven't made the playoffs no, 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 in 19 no, years.
1: No. Years of being beaten down as a Niners fan. I mean, let's be honest. We're both in our 30s. the The bulk of our fanhood has not been kind.
0: That's true. But there's also been a lot of good years. The Mariners have been a historical joke since the second they came into baseball. But. I'm pessimistic, and I think that's part of the reason why it takes a toll on you after a while. But I I know that this has been kind of like a downer episode, a downer pod. And, you know, it's warranted, but I don't want to leave you with that taste in your mouth. So let me try and leave and put a smile on your face. I saw this in The Athletic. This is from Matt Barrows and Daniel Brown. It is an oral history of Frank Gore's rookie season. And they have interviews with different people. And one of the people they interviewed was Adam Snyder, the offensive lineman. And I'm just going to read it because it's great. Snyder says, Frank and I are on a segment with Tahani Jones and Rich Eisen the day after we get drafted. And we're both wearing big baggy jeans because it's the early 2000s. And we meet for the first time, and I notice he has a big old necklace, like a medallion. And it was a stop sign. And in the middle, it said gore instead of stop. So I said to Frank, what's that all about? And he said, man... Mother can't stop Gore. <laughs> that's just that's just the best. Like Frank Gore, I love you, never change. And if he runs for two hundred yards on Sunday, I won't even be that mad.
1: You know, I posted a theory of mine on what's going on with Frank Gore, and it was actually Matt Barrows posting about that article that you talked about, and he posted a, a two profile pictures. Of Frank Gore, one from his rookie year and one from this year. Sure. And he actually looks younger in the one from this year, or it looks like he hasn't okay. aged at all. And then I said, I think this confirms that what's happened is Frank Gore played his rookie year, hopped in a time machine, and he keeps showing up at the beginning of every year as the younger version of himself. So as soon as the season <laughs> ends, he just hits a time machine and he's right back at the start of another season because he hasn't really changed. I mean, he was never particularly fast. I think he's a little bit slower now, but I mean, he runs the same style. He's almost as effective as he was back then. He just can't really take the beating for 300 carries in a season, but he's oddly the same. I mean, he, he hasn't changed drastically. Like you see other guys like Adrian Peterson, he doesn't make cuts anymore. He, he's very much a big bodied guy. That's just going to go in and try to fall forward. an additional couple yards after gaining whatever he can before contact. Frank, you're
0: the best. (laughs) There are some guys that I wish would play forever. Tony Gonzalez is one of those guys. I just loved him. He's just a great player. Larry Fitzgerald is one of those guys, even though he kills us every time (laughs) he plays us. There are some guys I just love, and Frank is like, he's on my all-time forever team. He's just the best, and that, that story is one of my... I just read it, and I just had to share it because it's just it made me smile and I I could use a smile today.
1: Let me tell a story of Francor, which is one of extreme disappointment from him, but it will put a smile on everybody's face. I went to New Orleans when the Niners were in the Super Bowl, playing in New Orleans, not this past year, but the previous time. In the He Who Should Not Be Named era. I went to Harris. I went to the only casino down there, uh, by the French Quarter in New Orleans. I walk in. I see – I think it was Ron Jaworski is the first celebrity I see in the casino. I can just kind of see him walking by. But I walk forward, and I'm in Niner stuff head, head to toe, like a, a very flamboyant leather Niners jacket. <laughs> a lot of a lot of Niners gear. That's how you roll, with the leather. Uh, When I'm in a crowd, yes. No, I don't wear leather jackets normally, but that was a jacket I purposely wore because – I lived in Indiana, and I wanted everybody to see that here's the Niners. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, I walk in, and I get maybe 20 yards into the casino, and this group of guys comes walking up past me. And one guy in the center, who was shorter than everybody else, says, go Niners, baby. And I said, huh, yeah. And I walk about 10 more feet, and it dawns on me, all of them were wearing Miami Hurricanes, University of wow. Miami gear. And then I started thinking back to the guy. that and I'm like, you know what? That guy looked a lot like Frank Gore. That had to be Frank <laughs> Gore. And I literally turned around to try to catch him. But they were leaving the casino. And I was like, I'm not going to try to chase him down. But I'm almost certain it was Frank Gore. And I literally had him speak to me. And I was just like, oh, yeah, cool guy. And I kept walking. And they went, oh, crap. I missed my opportunity. <laughs>
0: I'm not going to lie. I lost a little respect for you.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it was the Mi- it was step. the Miami Hurricanes gear. Like it wasn't Niners gear, so I wasn't thinking oh, that could be be like you know a Niners player. It wasn't it dawned on me a couple steps later. But I did meet Alex Smith on the street the night before the Super Bowl that year.
0: What'd you say to him?
1: Uh, well, I was a little intoxicated, not not crazy, so, <laughs> but I was at a buddy's bar because I used to live in New Orleans, and I walked out of the bar. And he was standing there talking to the owner of the bar, who I know. And he was actually carrying his kid. I think he might have been three or four at the time. I think he was just out. It was like two in the morning. I think he was just out to show his kid around when the crowds weren't there. But anyways, I I walk out and my a little bit intoxicated self looks over, sees him and goes, holy, it's Alex Smith. (laughs) He looks at me. And I can, I see it on his face. I was sober enough to see it on his face. Kind of like this panic, like, you got to be kidding me. I'm kind of like, I have my little kid here. I'm trying to be incognito. I'm out in the middle of the night. So nobody recognizes me, you know, because it's a night game. So he, he's out, you know, two in the morning. It's not a big deal. He's not playing at, you know, 10 a.m. Pacific or whatever. And so I kind of collected myself. I waited a little while. And after like 30 seconds, I walked over and I said, I just wanted to say I appreciate everything you did for the 49ers. I wish you luck on whatever team you end up with. And he shook my hand and said, thank you. And I left him alone because I could tell, like, he was very much in this, I have my little kid here, get the F away from me.
0: Yeah, and also you just said, <laughs> in front of his little kid.
1: <laughs> well, I was like, maybe, I was probably 15 feet away from him, but there was nobody else on the street at that time. Like, it was a it was in the French Quarter, but it was a little, like, it was off, off the beaten path. It wasn't Bourbon Street or anything like that.
0: I have one more Frank Gore story, if you'll allow it. <laughs>
1: uh, nope, nope. We were- I, I, I rule on this podcast. You know, you're not my boss or anything.
0: <laughs> well, I'm doing it anyway. Uh, so we were at the Super Bowl for a Pro Football Talk, and Chris Sims, who co-hosts the show, uh, was doing an interview with Frank Gore, and they start talking about Frank's Hall of Fame case. And Chris was kind of saying, I don't know if you have you know, the case for the Hall of Fame. And Frank's going at him hard, like, because, I mean, Frank's not going to win a Super Bowl. The Hall of Fame is all he has left now in, in the NFL. And he's talking about his years with the Niners, and every time he mentions the Niners, it's we, 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 we. Like, he's a not, he considers himself a 49er. He may have a different jersey on, but, like, in his mind, he's a 49er. And that just makes me love
1: him more. <laughs> I, I do think he's probably the most beloved 49er, maybe since – I was going to say since Steve Young, but I think he might be more – beloved than Steve Young because Steve Young replaced Joe Montana. So there was a little bit of the fan base that didn't want him.
0: Yeah. Steve was hated by a lot of the Niner fan base uh, just for not being Joe. Right.
1: Probably uh... since Joe, or I guess Jerry Rice would probably since Jerry outlasted Joe.
0: Yeah. But like of the new era, it's probably Gore. It's not Bryant Young, even though Bryant Young is incredible too. T.O. didn't stick around long enough. It's not Vernon Davis. It's obviously not Alex.
1: Considering that. Is that Jim Harbaugh? <laughs> hey, I said he should good, not now, be named. era. Uh, can't say his name now. You ruined it. Yours. You're going to have to bleep yeah. that name.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're probably right.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can't think of another. I mean, it's got to be. I mean, he's clearly the best running back. And other than Joe Montana and Jerry Rice, he's might be the best. I mean, Steve Young's my favorite player, so it kills me to say, but he might be the best offensive player other than those two because he's, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Steve Young, peak-wise, I've said for as long as I've been a fan that if you tell me I got one season, pick a quarterback in his prime, i probably pick Steve because I think peak-wise, he's the most skilled quarterback there's ever been because his accuracy is off the charts and his running ability kind of flips it for him. But despite saying that, I had to say that because I can't say this without saying that. I think Frank Gore is probably the third best offensive player to ever play for the Niners. After Jerry Rice, well, you're shaking your head at me. Nobody else will be able to see it, but I can see it. So what are you shaking your head at me for?
0: It's Terrell Owens. Why does Terrell Owens never get any love? He's the second best receiver of all time. And I love Frank, but Frank's not T.O. Okay,
1: so T.O., I still have his jersey. I was known as T.O. at BW3s when I was in high school because every Monday night I wore his jersey. I got to be known as T.O. there. (laughs) T.O., I still defend. I still will write things and defend him. But I was thinking of not guys that just played for the Niners, but more so like their whole time with the Niners.
0: Because
1: somebody like Larry Allen played for the Niners. Awesome. But he did so much of his work with a different team that shall not be named. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes, T O overall is the better player than Gore, but he did a lot of his Hall of Fame quality work off the Niners, even though he became known for the Niners and played for the Niners more than anybody else. Fair. Thank you.
0: If we're gonna put that limiter on it then. Yeah, okay.
1: I didn't I didn't I wasn't quite thinking in the same realm as you. If you want to go with just Funny. the best players to ever play for the Niners, then yeah, Teo's up there. Larry Allen has to be included. I'm sure there's other guys who have come over for a season or two that I'm not thinking of right now.
0: All right. I think that's a good place to leave it for this week. <laughs> We're not totally off the train yet, but, I mean, it, it. it's dark right now. It can get lighter quickly if they play well in week two, and hopefully they will. We'll hopefully be a little more positive next week. For 11 Black, I'm Rob Stats Guerrero. Remember, uh, like, subscribe, rate, all the good things on all the podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Please do for us.